Yo, before we get into this podcast, I want to ask for a huge favor from you. And that is if you have or you are getting value from this podcast, if you were to leave us a review or subscribe, it would mean the world. And quite frankly, selfishly, it's because I want to, we want to continue sharing these conversations, this medicine with the world. And when you leave a review, when you subscribe, it's a vote. And we would love to have your vote. Nonetheless, thank you so much and enjoy. Randy, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I feel like this has been a long time coming and it, it was only recently gotten spoken to existence and here we are. Yep. Love it. Sweet. What is, uh, what's your intention for the day or for this, at least for this podcast? Um, you know, I thought long and hard about this, not this specific question here, more philosophical in my life. And yeah. uh, I think that what prompted me is someone asked me years ago, you know, what do you want to be known for? And mm -hmm. I said, you know, I want people that have met me, that they're happy they met me and in some way better off for it. So uh, that's kind of where I come from. I try to serve others and, uh, and that's what I'm hoping to do today. Hopefully something that we share in our conversation will connect, resonate with somebody and more mm -hmm. importantly, hopefully it connects with them to make an action to make their life better. And it all boils down to action, which I'm sure we'll have plenty of fun yes. with talking about that. So uh, I'm really hearing like service, being able to serve people where they're at. Absolutely. My, so it's funny, I was gonna, I had an idea, but when you said you're running theme for your life, I was like, okay, like <laughs> what I recently came to, this was something I was talking with a friend about, said that, you know, what is ultimately the measure of success? And I wanted to redefine it because a lot of times, at least I grew up with the idea that success was measured based off of the amount of money that we have in our bank account and whether or not we are financially viable. This is the, the common idea of success. And for me, I piggybacking off of something I heard from someone who I admire, Gary Vaynerchuk, he said that his measure of success is based off of the number of people at his funeral. Nice. And for me, I'm like, you know what, I can... I can ride with that. And now my measure of success is the number of people with whom I left them feeling like love. Love is ultimately like them feeling like I shared love with them or they found love within themselves. Nice. That to me is, is that measure. So my intention is to, to be loving awareness and create from a place of love and, and service to others. And that's what you're doing with this program. It seems like that's what all of us are undergeared doing right i mean just to create context for you know how we how we kind of came to be so to speak i had just finished i believe it was the forum for landmark mm -hmm. and your i think it was your daughter was in it with me correct yep, yep your daughter, daughter was in it your daughter was in it and we were kind of doing our graduation i remember distinctly you came to me and shared that you had made a career amongst uh being, a, I believe, a firefighter service in, in that space, you were also uh, a speaker, motivational speaker. And I actually mentioned that I really aspired to be a speaker, but you had such a service mindset, hence your intention. You went out of your way to come and talk to me. And I never forgot that. Hmm. And even to this day, I always, you know, take little tidbits just to remind you how much you inspired me because it's almost like 
giving somebody the gift of believing in their vision before maybe they believe it's possible is perhaps one of the most beautiful things that you can give to somebody. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of, to be honest, in a way it's selfish. Uh, that sounds <laughs> weird, but, um, you know, I could actually, as part of my speaking business, do coaching. You know, I do coaching professionally with corporations and that kind of thing, but I could do coaching in, in a heartbeat with individuals because mm-hmm. I've, I've helped, you know, from a hundred entrepreneurs, you know, build a speaking business and write books and things like that. But I, I chose in my life in this piece of it, not to charge money because I didn't want to make it a job. And I, I really, I, I, I don't look, I don't go out and seek people. I just, when I come across them and I, you know, offer to help and if they want it, it, it really, it warms my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I'm glad we connected and, and I'm glad we're continuing this journey because this is all part of what you wanted to create. And it's pretty awesome for me to watch it actually evolving right in front of my eyes. So congratulations. And I'm really proud of you. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, I, I didn't really, I don't know if I, I put it in the right perspective and context that this is in a weird way, like a fulfillment on that thing we had originally spoken yeah. about. It's, it's a, it's a larger stepping stone. I have a grand vision for, for this, for this uh, podcast and it's not just going to be a podcast. Like it really is going to be filtering into a lot of these other idea babies that I have, but for you to see that it's, I think it's really great. And I'm curious so actually, no, this is what it was. You said that it was selfish. And I think that this is a really great conversation because if there is a way for us to be able to be both selfish and also selfless at the same time, meaning yeah. my selfishness is I want to be for people and it fills me up, but it also happens to serve you. Yeah. Where do you think you got that mentality from? Oh, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I necessarily learned it, but you know, it's weird because I remember uh, you talked about Landmark. Uh, the first time I went to the Landmark Forum, I, um, I uh, part of my conversation with my mother, you know, mm-hmm. I had a great relationship with my mother, but it, it's still an opportunity to reach out and talk to somebody about um, just, you know, make it even a better, better relationship. Yeah. And I always thought I was a difficult kid. And here I am, I'm, I'm a, you know, well into my ages, um, I'm in my fifties. It's not a surprise. Um, and I, I just, this is only a few years ago. And I, I asked my mom, I was a difficult kid. And she's like, Oh my gosh, you were the easiest kid in the world. She said, if I had, I would have had a lot more kids <laughs> earlier in life. If I, if yeah. I if you're easy. And I, I never saw that in myself. Hmm. And she said, she remembered a story where we were going to the store and I ran up ahead and she didn't know what I was doing. And I ran and held the door open for an older lady to get hmm. to the door. I don't, you know, obviously it's nothing I remember, but she said as a little kid, I just did that. I don't know. It, and it really brings me joy. I, it always has. It still does. I don't know if, uh, you know, you also get receive it too. You know, throughout my life, the different people that have been there for me and mentored me. And uh, I mean, I have great, um, I mean, there's some people that just wore my heart because they gave to me. So um, it just, it just, it's, this happens, but I, also chose from a coaching perspective not to make it a business because I didn't want anything I didn't want it to be work you know I didn't want to add a work element to something I loved so it was it happened I think naturally but also it happened by choice Does that make mm-hmm. sense it does make sense the the thing that popped in my head was there was this book I don't remember who it was written by but it was called the go-giver 
and you know we have this like in this individualistic society of based off of consumerism and getting yours and in the western society this concept of being a a go-giver versus a go-getter and being so for people that and i don't remember who said this quote but it said that if you if you want to, you know, if you want to find your true calling in life, go lose yourself in the service of others. Absolutely. Yeah, I can. I'm, it's just so true. And you don't, you don't even realize when you're, you're giving to others, how it's going to pay you back and, and, and dividends, right? More than you put in, you know, it's just going to return every time I've ever stepped up and, you know, here's, you just, again, we're, this is an organic conversation. I've held leadership uh, positions throughout my career in the fire service. I'm still in the fire service. Yeah. And, uh, but I also have held leadership um, throughout different associations. I never sought to be a leader. Every time I was asked to step up and take a role and I did it out of service, but looking back, I mean, my own personal development is just massive based on, you know, a new having to take on a new uh, responsibility and being responsible to others and communications and all the things you need to do to get that job done. I mean, it really made me a better person. It made me a better businessman. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it pays. It comes back in dividends every time. Hmm. Where did your journey begin in terms of? So you mentioned that you you didn't naturally lean towards this leadership role or wasn't necessarily your intention, but where did that journey start for you where you started to put yourself perhaps as in the speaking or coaching? What, what was that? What was the catalyst for that? So, you know, I know people might have a hard time believing this now, um, but I knew early on I wanted to, to be able to teach. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate. Um, you know, I, I just a, you know, at best a C student in high school, just just getting by, didn't have any ambition. Um, was even nervous on my graduation day if I had enough credits to graduate. So that was a little uh, nervous. Uh, but after that, I, I, I my brother uh, got in the fire service, and my dad was in the fire service mm-hmm. earlier in his life, and. Um, I just, it, man, I just connected with it. And so at the age of 18, I became a firefighter. And early on, I knew I wanted to train. Mm-hmm. I wanted to train other people. So it's really training and service goes hand in hand often. So it's, it's, it all ties into what I, why I like to coach, why I like to train. Mm-hmm. But early on, I knew I wanted to train. So I joined the National Honor Speech Club when I started taking college classes. Now, this is what I said people might have a hard time believing now. Uh, Traveled around the world, I've spoken on stages, I've I've done things I can't even imagine to myself. I was deathly afraid of public speaking. Imagine how that works out. Yeah, but I had to get through that to be able to train people. Mm -hmm. And I knew my desire was stronger to train others and help others than it was my own fear, and I had to get over it. But I literally joined a speech club. um, So I went into the auditorium, standing at the podium, gripping the podium, looking at the mic, not making any eye contact, just out of total fear. Mm -hmm. I had to do that six times, and then, of course, I just continued it. You're working the muscles out. Yeah. Um, I just continued it because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And when it's interesting because the more 
I trained, the more I was looked at as a leader and mm-hmm. the more I got to serve. And then just, again, the service brought me opportunities. So specifically speaking, I um, was promoted very young as an officer in my 20s. So here I am, a, a pretty young officer, a lieutenant at the age of 27. Mm-hmm. At the time, we hadn't hired anybody in years. So I was, I was one of the youngest firefighters on the whole department. And now I'm in charge of 30 and 40 years old in a pretty risky job. So I'm in charge of a station with a rescue and an engine. And I'm in my 20s. So I had all the responsibility. Yeah, looking back, it's crazy. Um, I had all the technical knowledge, but I was really a horrible leader. I micromanaged. I was really good on the training aspect of it. But again, I I didn't have uh, a lot of confidence in myself. Um, Fear held me back. I didn't manage conflict. And um, because I didn't manage conflict, I almost got demoted my first month. So I got challenged at the fire station by one of the senior guys that was really well respected. And uh, he, he challenged me and I just stood there, looked at him, didn't know what to say and walked away. And, you know, we didn't have a conversation initially, but do you think he talked? Yeah, he told everybody. Totally. And suddenly they lost faith in me. They had no trust in me, even though they did believe in me because I was doing all the training and everything else because I was confident in that arena. They lost complete faith in me as a leader. Mm. And because of that, I, I literally was called into the chief's office. And I say chiefs because they were all lined up. And that's usually when you get demoted. And they said I had to find a way. So this is a long story to tell you. I had to find a way how to manage people, how to manage conflict. And I pursued it for years. I still do. And fast forward a few years, we had promotional um, new officers that needed training on managing people. And I said, well, let me share what I do. And I did it once and then I did it a second time. And before you know it, I did it year after year, multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it had much value. But one day I said, hey, who's excited to be here? And I had all these hands go up. And I was shocked. I mean, I, because it's a conflict class. Like who's excited about conflict? And the first They're person, probably not excited about conflict. They're excited about the idea of not having conflict. So they want to know how you overcome it. Well, I didn't realize that. I had created a <laughs> reputation I didn't know. And the first officer said, I'm here this week to see you. It was a 40-hour program, and I only did four hours of it. The second officer goes, I came this week to see you. And then the third person said, me too. And I'm looking around going, I thought they were punking me. And... I realized right then I actually, over the years of teaching this, I had created value and people sought it out and needed it. Hmm. So about a month later, I put a flyer out. I got a training room and uh, I said, uh, you know, I'm going to do a full day program. I didn't have a full day program, (laughs) but I I took my four hour program. They made a full day program. Um, I charged, I'm just going to tell the price. And I did $99 and 18 people showed up. And suddenly I realized I had a speaking business. <laughs> so Lily, it was completely organic. I was serving others. And that conflict, that challenge, it could have broke me. I could have got demoted. I could have, you know, had a horrible career. Or those challenges, man, those are the biggest opportunities for you to become better. Mm-hmm. If you look back over your life, the challenges that you hate going through, them, they are going to define who you are later on. And the, the bigger the challenge, the better off you're going to be later on. We don't like to hear that during going through it. It sucks. Not. 
but really there's challenges. And I know you've been through some personal challenges. It's made you stronger, hasn't it? Anytime I chose to distill the the truth and the value from it, absolutely. But it was it always came down to me. It always came down yeah. to whether or not I was willing to to look for the nuggets. Yeah. Oh, it's not easy, especially during the time. But yeah, getting through that and learning from it, um, that challenge is now taking me all over the world and, and created opportunities I can't even imagine I'd ever have. So again, it was in the service of others that brought that opportunity to me. Hmm. So long answer to how did I get into the speaking business, but that's really how it started, completely organic, serving others. Okay. And would you say then that your specialty, the thing that most calls you inside of that service is helping people to understand and overcome conflict? Is that... It, yeah, that's my sweet spot. I still, uh, you know, I'm a chief officer with the fire department. So I still do a lot of work with fire departments. And that's sure. my, by far my number one class I teach. Uh, I created, you know, expanded on my program, my certifications. I wrote a book. Um, so that's my number one program. But that led into an opportunity to do conflict training in Harley Davidson many years ago. I ended up staying with them, uh, trained all their leaders. Uh, for three and a half years at all the four Harley plants. And again, took me international and I work with a number of G, you know, right now I'm working with GE avionics. So I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm, I hope this comes, doesn't come across any way in bragging. I have no reason to brag about it. This is just what I do now. It's, yeah. And it's the evolution of where I've come. But the thought of me training corporate people was so foreign to me. But mm. it's been, a, that's just my evolution of how I've gotten here. And it's all because I overcome a challenge. I try to serve others. And, it, and then in the long run, I grew as a person in the process. Mm. Okay. So you have expertise. Then why don't we just dive into that expertise a little bit? Talk to me about conflict. And let's put this in the context of say every, the everyday person, you know, yeah. you know, whether, you know, we have work, we have our, you know, interpersonal relationships, be it, uh, you know, intimate relationship, familiar relationships and things like that. But I would have to imagine that there are core principles and foundations that if anyone takes these conflict tools, tips, strategies sure. that they can, I would imagine, what is your end goal with, with any kind of, uh, with any kind of class you're teaching is that people know how to understand, identify and overcome conflict. Is that Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so not only for themselves, but when they have to manage others. So as okay. a, I do a lot of fire officers, so they have to manage people that are in conflict with them or they have to manage other people that are in conflict with each other. So there's a number of different skills you can learn. Yeah. And but I mean, yeah. even the everyday person has a version of that, right? Whether it's me to oh, a absolutely. friend, me to a yes. parent, me to anyone, like we all have that, some version of it. Sure. So, um, you know, the first thing to realize is, when we have a conflict, what we think happened didn't happen. Okay. What happened was our version of what happened. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes I do this in the most basic way. I will walk by someone in the class and just look at them and then walk on and, and ask them, what did you see? And they have all kinds, they interpret all kinds of things. But just an interpretation, it's all it is. Mm -hmm. Most of the times people blend the facts with their own meaning of the story they create, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times your story is shaped by your past experience with that person. Mm -hmm. So your best friend shows up a little late. I mean, are you going to give them a really hard time? Probably mm -hmm. not. You probably give them the benefit of the doubt. 
If you have a meeting with somebody you really don't care care for, how do you treat them when they show up? Yeah, most of the time we're going to treat them rude or, or, or say something negative. So our yeah. past our past experience kind of sets a filter up of how we see things. Mm. But the reality is someone could be super nice and everything else, but if we have a filter that they're negative, we're going to find fault in theirs, whatever it is. Yeah. Our filter is ultimately what is determining our experience of reality, but it's not reality itself. Well, our perceived experience creates our next experience. Mm-hmm. How we see somebody based on their past, they could be wonderful. They walk in and they could be really happy and say hello. And you're thinking, what are they up to? Why are they being a jerk? <laughs> They're just saying hello. So you have to be, if you ever want to change your uh, relationship with somebody, if it's an important relationship, it only takes one person to change. And you have to show up different. Somebody has to show up different. Yeah. And the first thing I would say is separate out your story and your filter with what actually happened. Sure. Because most of the time what actually happened is pretty minor, but we create this whole story around it. Hmm. Right? Someone walks by to you and doesn't say hello, and you make this whole story that they're a jerk and they're rude and everything else. I mean, that is the most basic, simple little example. But we can't. People can get irate and, and call people names and go tell their friends this person was rude. And the person was just in their head, had a thought going on or having a bad day and they were focused on something or just didn't see the person. Sure. So I, have they, a, I have a it, previous example where something like this just happened, please. which <clears throat> I'm very much inside of the, the conversation of uh, dealing with reality, as my coach would say, yeah. is that we want to become masters of reality, not the stories, as you said, about what we say about reality. And <clears throat> how this showed up was I had two podcasts scheduled to do yesterday. Mm-hmm. And the first person told me last minute that they couldn't do it. And then the second person, I, cause I try to send messages to kind of let people know, like, Hey, reminder. Yeah. And, uh, the second person I messaged a couple hours out, had no response. And then it got close. And I was just like, Hey, just want to make sure we're good. And then like, it, it was like time to start. And I was like, Hey, just wanted to check in, make sure everything was good. Uh, you know, let me know if, if you need to switch or not, just, you know, I want to plan my day appropriately. And I never heard back from them. And what immediately popped up without my, without my choice, yeah. which I'm very present to is just the subconscious programming because of some yeah. past experience, the filter yeah. was, oh, they just must not, they, they, they must not care. This must not be urgent for them or important and whatever it was. And I saw it and I was just like, oh, because I became the observer of the thing. And I saw, I was like, oh, you know what? I, I could get that that was automatic without me. That was the filter. And then when I took a step back from the re- and I looked at the reality, it's like the reality is we had a scheduled time at 4 p.m. to do a podcast and that person did not show up at 4 p.m. And then today, <laughs> the reality was they text me saying, I'm so sorry, some crazy crap went down. And I, I really, I'm really sorry. Like, you know, can I reschedule? He already went and rescheduled another podcast. Like that's the reality. But the reality right. wasn't, oh, he doesn't care. It's not important to him. He was very apologetic. He's like, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. And like that happens all the time everywhere. And I think that we over-identify with our initial thought, yeah. which I'm wanting to propose. And I think is kind of what you're pointing at is that those thoughts happen without us because of some programming that happened from way back when because some experience where somebody did you know let you down but if you start bringing awareness to it like we right an event uh, something happened 
mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? So something happened. Then we interpret it, what it means. Mm-hmm. And you start challenging what your interpretation is. You'll start to, um, it'll, it'll slow you down. And that, that's a great thing right there, slow down. Mm. Slow down and think because your interpretation is going to create an emotional response. Your emotional response is going to create an action. Your action is going to, is going to either improve or decrease the relationship with the person. And now you're in this loop and you're stuck, yeah. right? Interaction, interpretation, reaction, response back. And here we go again. So, you know, your friends are late. You probably go up there and hug them and, and not, not say anything because of your past experience. But someone that you don't care for has pissed you off, right away you're going to walk in and probably be defensive because your interpretation mm. is they're a jerk. Not that they got, there was a car accident and they couldn't get through the traffic or something. You're going to go right to they're, just, they're doing it. That's the second thing I want to share. Our interpretation is always that the other person is out to get us, mm. right? We, we view their intentions as always negative, we always view our intentions as positive. If, if it's somebody that we don't associate in a positive way, correct? Not every uh, person? Not, usually, if it's conflict, right? Okay, if, okay, if, okay, got it. Yeah, because even a friend, uh, if it's something that pisses you off, your intentions are they're doing this on purpose, right? You believe their intentions are negative. We could take the exact same action and we will justify our response and make our intentions positive. <laughs> but we meant to be there on time. We both arrive late. You're going to look at them and think they're a jerk, even though you arrive late, but you have an excuse. So two actions, exactly the same thing, but you're going to view their intentions as negative, and you're going to view your intentions as positive, and you're going to justify. <laughs> now, the, the thing about justification is, it allows you to take further action since they're the ones that are blamed for this scenario. You did it. You're pointing fingers. Yeah. So once I blame you, now it justifies further action against you. Mm. And again, you're back in that darn loop again. Mm. So, remind, go ahead. Go ahead. You, you remind you of what? I was going to say, it reminds me of something I learned in a social psychology class. And it was called the, I think it was called the fundamental attribution error which pointed at the distinction between situational versus dispositional choices, meaning kid walks into class. This is an example that the professor gave him like sitting in his classroom. They have like the long, uh, like all the, if you imagine like any like college classroom, just a bunch of seats, rows of it. And of course, like 90% of the seats were not filled. So it's just a small class, but he's talking about this idea. And he says, uh, a situational example of this is Timmy walks in, 10 minutes past the time when the, when the time was ready to start in a situational example, he says that we look at Timmy and we say, Oh, you know what? Like Timmy, Timmy's a really, really good guy. Like he is just, he's just on time. Like that's just how he is. And, you know, it must've been, you know, it must've been traffic. Traffic must've been bad. There must've been an accident. It's just situational. There was something out of his control. He had no control of it whatsoever versus second scenario. Timmy walks in dispositional attribution would say, Oh my goodness, Timmy, that kid, he will be late in to his own funeral. He he's yeah. just he he has no care for timeliness. He's so irresponsible. He doesn't manage anything. And that is where we go wrong. We oftentimes justify, like you said, our behavior is situational, like, oh no, I'm not really good. Yeah. But you, no, no, you, my friend, have bad you're you're dispositionally, you just always be this way. This is how you be. You be late. Yeah. And so I got two more key points on this conflict. I got a, actually three more. One, because you're spot on, first of all. And you just bring these science to it. 
<clears throat> Sorry. The other thing, um, that number, you have an interpretation which creates a reaction, a reaction yeah. right? And that reaction is emotion. Yeah. Okay. We often blame our, our reaction, our emotion on other people too. Mm. So I, I coached. Uh, it's easier. Yeah. I, I coached a, a young a mother of a couple of kids and we were at a conference together and she was struggling. And I actually was coaching her on, on her speaking business, but she just started talking about some challenges she had going in her life. And I said, do you want to talk about it? I said, sure. And her, she was really stressed out at home. Um, she was stressed out with herself. The reality is I mean, knowing her now, um, she was stressed <laughs> out by, she was stressed out with herself and she was taking it out on her kids. She was yelling at her kids and she felt guilty and all that. So um, I said, do you go to church by chance? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you yell at your kids at church? And she just looked at me and, and, and the, the whole demeanor changed in her face because she realized at that moment it was a choice. She was blaming the kids. They are making me do this. Well, if they're making you do this, why aren't you not doing it at church? Because it's a choice. So the emotional reaction we have is a choice. And the more you practice that, the better you get. Mm. All right. So listen, the emotions, the interpretation, all that, it's pretty natural. Actually, your, your emotional reaction is automated. Your response is optional. Mm-hmm. So think about that. Right? Your, your fight or flight response is natural. It kicks in. It takes like a third of a second, right? The, the reaction is automated. The response is optional. And, I, and like I said, she made a choice. She didn't, she didn't yell at her kids in front of other people, but she did when she was in her home. Hmm. So I'm going to move to skills because we're talking about a lot of just this kind of conflict dynamics, I call it, right? The dynamics of conflict. So, so what? We're going to re- we're gonna continue probably to interpret. We're probably going to continue to have emotional reaction. The question is, can we control our uh, response? From a skills-based, you know, we, we see things different than the other person. So we, if we take the time and slow down and find out where they're coming from, most of the time, you're going to find out it's a miss. It's misinformation, misunderstanding. It's, mis- it's some kind of, it was a communication issue or, you know, talking about being late. Uh, a good friend of mine, we, we do a lot of training together. And uh, we agree to be there at a certain time. And she's like 15, 20 minutes late. And Finally, she texted me and said, I'm in the back in a booth. And I'm like, I'm in the back in a booth. And we're looking at, I'm looking around. <laughs> she was being nice and drove to, we, we went to a Panera. So she was being nice and drove to the Panera by my house. I was being nice and drove to the Panera oh, by her man. house. <laughs> and so we were both on time, sitting in a booth, the back of the restaurant at different restaurants. So again, I could have called up and gotten mad because she was 15, 20 minutes late. And I said, hey, we're... You know, we figured it out pretty quickly that we were at the wrong restaurant. But uh, so most of the time, you actually take the time to understand really where the person's coming from, what their real intentions are, how they're seeing it. Um, now, it, it takes talent. I mean, I think it takes a little work, but if you actually pause and think, how else could I see it? How could I see it from their view? Man, if you're in, if you're in a conflict with somebody and you got quiet time and you're angry and you can calm yourself down and start reflecting how they see in you, mm-hmm. that's really big because conflict meets conflict. Yeah. Right. This loop. 
I interpret it, I react, I respond. And it's, if I respond in the negative, how's the other person going to respond? Yeah. Conflict. Negative. Because, c- conflict. Yeah. I got that. So we create a mirror back and forth and just put fuel on the fire. And if we actually take a moment and look at the conflict from their eyes, we're, you know, we call them a jerk and all that. They're seeing us the same way. So the things we're saying about the other person are pretty indicative of what we're saying about ourselves. Hmm. You know, there's whether or not you subscribe to this completely up to you, but I, I have this whole running paradigm about that, which I don't like out there is merely a reflection of that, which is in here. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first person where I'm the first person to really do my best and observe my choices and decide was that the most effective thing that I could have done in that scenario? Because now running like question that I ask myself is if I loved myself, would I do this? And thusly, if I loved you, would I do this? Yeah, that's a great question. So that doesn't check off then. Yeah. So I'm actually going to, and you prompted a question I asked myself in conflict. So Remember I told you not only um, um, conflict we're in, involved with, but also conflict we were responsible for. So as an officer, mm-hmm. I have to manage performance with employees and conflict between employees. Mm-hmm. And I think we're by nature fighters or flighters. So that emotionally charged response of fight or flight, which is the oldest part of the brain, the amygdala, uh, I think by nature we're one or the other. Well, I'm a, I'm a flighter. You know, I already told you when I was a new officer, I got challenged and I walked away. Didn't know what to say or do. Um, I eventually did have a conversation with him, but not for a while. But <laughs> I, I'm a flighter. And I think by nature, we're fighters or flighters. Does that make sense? So yeah. I, but the really, really big question, it changed me uh, uh, as a leader. If you're a flighter like me, and you're responsible for other people. This was the question I'd ask myself. One day I realized I was watching something that was going on. I think it was horseplay or something, you know, something going on, a bad performance. And I kept asking myself, should I do something? Now, when I started realizing, I'd ask the question, but then uh, as I walked away, I could rationalize it away. Sure. Eh, it's not a big deal, blah, 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 right? But then I suddenly realized, why am I asking myself that question? If I didn't have an issue with it, the question would never come up. Hmm. So I realized when I asked myself that question, should I say something? Should I do something? I suddenly realized, man, that goes to the heart of my values. Something's wrong. My, my, my being is saying, go do something. And then I'd walk away and justify it. But then I realized that question is, there's a reason you're asking yourself that question. Because the values in your body are saying, you know, something is out of sync. Mm -hmm. So when you can start listening to your own voice in your head, like, should I say something? Should I do something? Man, that's telling you. Because that's that's alignment with who you are. Does that make sense? Yeah, because in a way, if you don't honor that, it's like you're not honoring yourself because it's almost like that intuition. Like you said, it's it's reflecting off of, I, I told myself I am X, Y, and Z. This question mm-hmm. is now propagated from that idea of, are you going to live in alignment with that? Or are you going to, as you said, flight? Now, do you think it was easy for me to stay there? It wasn't. No, so I never. literally 
remember the fight or flight is automated. So I would see something. My first reaction was to spin around. And I literally give myself up to three steps to stop and re-engage. The spin around, I'd done it so many times for so many years, it was automated. But literally, I'd spin around, then I'd catch myself. I go, I'm asking myself that question. Then I would stop, and I would turn around and stop whatever or engage whatever I needed to do. And initially, it was scary as heck. Uh, Now, I actually look forward to conflict. Hmm. I really do. Um, The last thing I want to share with conflict, I don't know if you want to move on, but one more thing. If you're in charge of other people, you know, I don't complicate. I just simply say, you know, what's the problem? And I want to hear them out fully. That's the biggest gift you can really learn as a leader or as a person is really, truly listening to someone. And I, 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 I always want to teach people how to do that. I say be present, right? Be in the moment uh, and be curious. Be present and curious and really hear what they're having to say. But if your mind's open, your body will be open. You'll be receptive. You'll be able to hear things. So when you share what's going on wrong, hear them out. Maybe it's one of the misses, the misunderstandings, the miscommunication, whatever. Um, hear them out. Uh, and you're going to learn a lot from that. Um, it also creates a relationship, right? Listening really well. And then the second piece is agree on what needs to happen but I don't tell them how to fix it. Once we agree on what needs to happen, I ask them, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's a, my conflict mo- uh, program is actually a coaching model. So we identify what's wrong. We identify what we're going to get to. And then I ask them how they're going to get there. So that's the other key component is uh, even in my conflict, I use coaching because we can't tell people what to do. They don't want to be told what to do. Um, when you own it. Um, can I share a story? Bring it on. All right. I think this is a, so, and the story shouldn't make sense why I'm, I'm, I'm telling it, but I just, that key word just caught my attention. Um, years ago, you know, in addition, I've got several parallel career paths. Um, mm-hmm. I in a, you know, became a firefighter EMT, and then I was working part-time as a paramedic, and then I went to nursing school. So be, I was in the fire service, and I was also a registered nurse working in emergency room, pediatrics, and cardiac, et cetera. So, um, and I did that for a number of years, part-time, while I did the fire service. I had the opportunity to go to Boggy Creek in Orlando, and Boggy Creek is a uh, camp for medically ill kids. And mm-hmm. what they have is a theme week. Like the week I went was a cardiac week. So all the kids in the camp had some kind of cardiac illness or cardiac surgery or something. And I, I was there as, as a nurse and they had all these different cabins and we had 15 kids and they were ages around 10 to 12, uh, 15 kids and uh, they for a whole week. So it was like a Sunday to a Friday. So the kids arrived, we sent the parents home, you know, boohooing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the young camp counselor, um, he said, the first thing we're going to do, kids, is we're going to write our rules for the week. And I, I thought, well, this is going to be a waste of time, but okay. <laughs> I'm not in charge. I'm the nurse. I'm there to, to take care of the IVs and the feeding tubes and things like that. So um, in a beautiful camp. I have to say, Boggy Creek is an amazing place. It's, uh, Orlando Magic put in the basketball court, and SeaWorld put in the pool, and there's a lake and boat fishing. Beautiful place. And for a lot of these kids, they've never been to a camp before. So an absolutely amazing experience for them. 
So we sent the parents home and the camp counselor said, write your rules for the week, we'll be outside. And so we went outside and sat on the bench and waited for a little while. And then all the kids walked out with a pad of paper and they had written out their rules and they all signed it. And one of the kids handed it to me. And when I saw it, I literally wanted to just, I wanted to just tear it off, crumble it up and throw it away. Hmm. Any, any guesses of what was on there that made me feel that reaction? Something anger provoking possibly that he didn't want to be there. He wanted to leave. No, just the opposite. So the rules they made for themselves, right? I mean, here's these kids that, again, some had IVs and on oxygen and all this other stuff going on. A lot of them hadn't been to these camps before. This is an opportunity for them to have fun, right? And fun and rules just seem so counterproductive to me. I wanted to throw the rules away, but the camp counselor said, write your rules the week. The kids wrote their own rules. And the rules were, they had a curfew. There was no fighting, no cursing. They had to make their bed, take a shower, pick up their dirty clothes. And there was a whole list of things they agreed to do. And I was shocked by it. I'm like, it just seems so constraining for a week of fun. It just seems very constraining, but it's their rules, you know, now, it was one of the best leadership lessons I've experienced in my entire life. Now they're kids. Do they break any rules? Sure. Yeah. But what happened when they broke a rule? That's what was amazing is either they self-corrected and said, my bad, or 14 kids reminded them of the commitments they made. Hmm. So the point of me telling this story is if you're going to help other people, don't do it for them. You know, provide an opportunity for them to do it for themselves. Because if I would have wrote those rules, I would have had a really bad week. And my memory of that week would have been probably pretty nasty because I would have been trying to control people all the time. So when you help people, help them help themselves. Hmm. You're right. I didn't have to say anything to any of those kids. They, they, they agreed. So it's really interesting for me. You know, we always talk about holding people accountable. You know, I do a lot of leadership training, so some of that's coming out. But we always talk about holding people accountable. But they forget, they forget an important ingredient is commitment. Right? Without commit, if you have commitment, accountability comes natural. Commitment is internal. Accountability is external. Those kids had commitment. Accountability came with it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so the reason I told that story is it goes back to coaching. I, when you help people decide what they want to accomplish, they're going to do it because they have commitment and accountability comes natural. So I think there's a lesson for people. That's why making goals and commitments are so important for yourself because how can you hold yourself accountable if you're not clear on what you want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and especially if what you're seeking to accomplish isn't compelling and pulling oh, out yes. direction. Otherwise you end up making commitments to things, you know, you're not going to follow through on and it almost comes out of obligation. And the end result of that is no accountability, no action, no results. And then you're back at square one and right. whether you were being motivated by external sources uh, to create those goals, or if it was, uh, a lack of awareness on oneself of what somebody wants. Either one of those contexts usually doesn't lead to a desired outcome because sure. you're not going to do the thing. Well, you're sp- I think you're spot on. The, the vision and the goal has to be excited enough. It has to create urgency. It has to overcome 
you know, like when I was scared of speaking, the goal of becoming a trainer was, was more attractive than not. Yeah. Right. So I had to overcome the fear. Um, it's, you can find courage when you have a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And that, I think that's why, again, the goal is so important. It's a compelling goal. Our, yeah. I love my friend says a big audacious goal. So I think it's really important for people to have a vision and goal for themselves. Yeah. I mean, in its own way, it's, it's an, it's a person's hero's journey. Yeah. The, the, the call to something more red pill, blue pill. Do you want to continue on nice. life as normal as it is, or do you seek something more? Now, obviously, as soon as you do that, you go from, you know, it's like two, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And one of them, red pill, blue pill, like one of them requires a certain set of intentions and thoughts and actions and accountability and commitments and, and others. And the other one requires the opposite of that or less of yeah. that. And, you know, there's times, I think that this is kind of the important piece to factor in is it's not about being a saint. It's not about being perfect. It's not about never slipping, never falling. Matter of fact, I think the people who slip and fall the most are oftentimes the ones who get be better at course correcting. It's those who have an inability or difficult time being able to, <clears throat> when you're going down the path of intention towards greater commitment, when you slip into the other pattern is to notice, oh, this doesn't serve my larger intention. And I can learn from that to then catch myself next time. So that way I'm my, my refractory period, so to speak, the time yeah. between the mess up and me getting back on the horse because I've fallen off, that gets less and less and less. And then eventually you've created a habit of your commitment. Now it's not this thing that you have to will. It's like, it just happens right. without you doing it. Right. And, um, uh, I love habits. I love the word habit too, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it defines our life, right? Yeah. You know, thing that prompted me during that, what you just shared is when you look back, those little moments of decisions, um, how oh man, talk about, like you said, completely different directions in your life. I, it, it was interesting. You know, I, I kind of knew I wanted to be a firefighter when my brother became a firefighter just before me. Yeah. And then my dad being a chief, uh, you know, as a volunteer chief, I didn't remember him being a chief because I was too young, but we had all the memorabilia in our living room with all the, you know, the, the mugs with the fire symbols and all that. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's just that little brief moment. And most of the time it comes from a question, but uh, I was literally was playing volleyball on the beach. I just graduated high school, didn't want to go to college because I watched my brother and sister go and not do well because they had no passion behind it. And my friend said, you want to go to fire academy with me? And I, I still can remember that moment standing there going, yes. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. that's all it took. Um, and it, it literally, those moments can change your life. Uh, but as soon as that question, I saw it, you know, I saw me becoming a firefighter and it's kind of crazy. I just last shift was my 35th year of finishing in the fire department. So Congratulations. it's kind of, kind of crazy that uh, the journey I've been on, but uh Anyways, let me come back. Um, yeah, it's those moments um, that are going to define your life and the habits you create uh, moving towards that bigger goal. Mm. And it's tough. Hindsight is such a bitch sometimes when it's like you have to have gone through that thing in order to have distilled that lesson. Yeah. And this has been a big one for me because I tend to lean into the 
uh, analysis paralysis at times because I'm a, I'm a systems and processes guy. Like I want to figure out how to make it better before I've done it. That's the, that's one of my biggest issues. Like I want to make it better before I've even done it. So it's like, before I've even done this podcast, I'm already trying to hack it. I'm just like, nah, like you have to go through the process. You have to get to the other side of it in order to have gotten there. And I think that for anybody starting something new, okay, this is good. This is a, this is important. I'm sure you've had plenty of experience with this is, um, being able to adapt a beginner's mindset and not only adapt it, but really to come to love and accept a beginner's mindset. For example, with podcasting, I'm brand new to this fear. This is like maybe my, you know, little over 10 episodes that I've, I've really gotten to share, have conversations with, and by no means am I even close to have developed a level of mastery. And it can be a little bit disheartening if I compare my step one to someone else's step 1000 yeah. or even 10,000 being that I I'm just in the beginning and I have to teach myself how to record and how to get people on and how to ask them the right questions and how to ensure the conversation doesn't get boring and, and make sure that we're not sitting with too much awkward silence because I I haven't oriented myself the way or propagated enough, you know, interesting energy that something else comes up in your space to continue talking about all the way to editing and refining and, and the marketing, like there's all these steps on this journey that if one gets too caught up in the minutia yeah. before they even take the journey, it can be hard to want to adapt that beginner's mindset when you compare even your step one in this sector of your life and one sector to, but I'm really, really good at this thing. Why am I not naturally good at this thing when there's probably not even a parallel? How do we, I don't know if it's, it's as tangible as you know someone would like it to be, but it's how do we really adopt that mindset and, and learn how to have fun with it, to play and be okay with, not having it look amazing when so much of our society, it seems, is based around making everything look pretty and look a certain way and glittered up and make up up and just all of that. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny. I was, I, I, I was smiling a couple of times while you're just doing that because I was just pulling myself being back in the moment. Um, and because some of the times we have difficulties is because we're in our head. So it's, you know, I don't know why it popped in my head, but you know, organically when you were talking about that beginner's mindset, um, my real speaking journey began. I told you about the fire service, but I literally just started teaching those classes when I had the opportunity to go to Harley Davidson and teach a conflict class. And one class turned into two and into three and turned into 15. Um, but at some point I went from a new team leader all the way up to the general manager and the senior staff of, of the plants uh, in very short time. So here I am a training chief of a fire department teaching hose, forceful entry, fighting fire, extrication, right? Mm -hmm. Very non-leadership skills, very technical skills. And I had one topic was conflict but now they wanted a second topic and a third topic and a fourth topic topic. And in a very short order, I was teaching this, the senior people at the company in the very first session I got in front of them. And this was my first session. Uh, we, they decided to do a monthly leadership program for the senior folks. And my first hour, it just really wasn't going very well. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was a consultant in the room because there Harley was doing organizational change at the time after the uh, downturn in the, in the economy. 
And he goes, yeah, you're right. It's not going very well. It could, you know, which is not what you want to hear. <laughs> and he looked at me, he goes, because you don't believe. And that's all I needed. I literally like, we took a, after like an hour, I took a break. Um, and, uh, and I was like, you know, he's absolutely right. I wasn't believing in myself. And so you said beginner mindset. I actually laughed and was in a moment and it took me back there. You got to balance, I think, a beginner's mindset. Um, but, you know, also you have to believe in where you're at, what you have accomplished, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, sometimes I don't think we're grateful enough for what we are, where we're at. Look at where you're at from where we talked about when we first met. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that would be like, man, I wish I had 10 episodes in, you know? So apparently uh, most of them drop off after 10 episodes. There's like a percentage, like 90% of podcasts well, like sure. die after 10 podcasts. So I'm like, Hey, I mean, I haven't produced them yet and everything. We'll see how I do, but I'm committed. <laughs> you. And that's honestly, that's going back to the habit thing. It's consistently doing it. Um, I think one of the problems we make with goals, we make them so grandiose. Mm. Right? And by the way, I took the break. I told myself I, I got this. I went back and killed the session, killed the yeah. session. And that was a pilot program to see, which turned into, you know, again, I was there for a total of five years, but three and a half years, I was there all the time. Um, but um, I lost my train of thought. Beginner's mindset and being able to have gratitude for where we're at. Oh, yeah. Just, and we always, because here's the thing, right? I had an opportunity, uh, one of the speaking programs I, I helped host um, in my speakers uh, association. And a good friend of mine is a really phenomenal coach, just unbelievable phenomenal coach. And we decided to do some extra coaching sessions. And I made the suggestion, can we make it group coaching? And so luckily the top speakers in the region, part of our association all signed up and we ended up doing a group coaching session. Hmm. And it was really, it was, it was such a learning experience to me because here I felt inadequate and wasn't doing well. And I admired everybody that was getting coached. Mm. Guess what everybody's issue was? <laughs> everybody didn't feel like they were good enough. And I'm looking at these people going, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, you're, you're have this successful business, you're creating this empire and you're still, so it doesn't go away. And I don't think it's a bad thing because I think fear, if you, you know, they say channel it, but I, because of fear, I, pre I prepare, you know, I know this is organic, but I still, I, the last couple of days been thinking about it. I, you know, I've been, I'm not going to walk in here just cold. So fear. I came in cold. So yeah. <laughs> you're alone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't, nothing's been said that's been prepped, don't get me wrong, but it's just got me thinking about um, just our time together, you know? So, I mean, fear, I, it's really a good thing because um, I think without fear, you have complacency. Without complacency, you'd probably show no passion or no energy, you know? So we're always going to have it because when you go to the next level, you're going to probably want to go to the next level. And I don't think it ever goes away. So don't think you ever make it. You just make it to the next spot until you move on to the next one. So you're in a way you have a beginner's mindset because you're, you've got a new normal. Sure. 
And I don't know if that's what you meant by beginner's mindset, but, um, but also at the same time, believe and be grateful for the, what you, where you accomplished and got you to this point. Because I think a lot of times uh, that gratitude is not there for ourselves. Hmm. So, so t- tying something together, and I, I think you'll you'll probably button this up real quick if I if I don't have it completely perfectly together. But <clears throat> would you say that that fear could be ultimately it's it's what we decide that fear means that's going to either compel mm-hmm. us to do the thing or not do the thing, which goes into that earlier conversation about what is it that we make the fear mean? Because for some of us, and you know myself in many areas I've done this before is the fear of like, excuse me, not being good enough. What if people see that I'm not good or what if they don't associate or (coughs) relate to me as being proficient at this thing? What does that mean about my own, you know, what does that mean about me? Am I, am I unworthy? My, my self-worth and everything go down the tunnel and everything, or do I make it mean, Oh, look at that. This is something that my body is having a, a physiological reaction to. And my, commitment to this larger vision is far more important than my commitment to letting the fear of what could happen overtake my action or an action, which even inaction is still an action. It's just doing yep. nothing. Thank you. Um, so the question, the question inside of that was, do you think that that's the, the, the distinction right there is to own the fear and to not let it own you? Yeah, I'm just reflecting on fear because I've always, um, courage has always been a real strong word for me and um, because I've always been fearful. Again, I told you I was fearful um, public speaking, I was fearful as a a leader, fearful. I mean, every step away, I've always been fearful. Um, So I'm I'm just kind of reflecting on fear versus courage and what I've learned from that process. Um, so actually, can you, do you remember this question again? So now I've reflected a little bit. Can you, do you remember the question, how you asked it? Yeah. So when you back on the spot, sorry. Fear and connecting it to the earlier conversation about the story that we attach to the reality. So if the reality is I have this fear response, say it's fight, flight. Sure. I also attribute freeze. I didn't bring that up, but yeah, good the, point. however we react to it, we either get to choose to let the fear overpower us or we get to choose to overcome and overpower the fear. So the question was, is do you, well, I guess is do do you think it boils down to that? Do you think that ultimately what we do with the fear, let it empower us or disempower us, let it win versus letting us win is how is ultimately going to determine the direction we're going. Does I'm, I'm I'm worried. So a couple of things come to mind. Um, First of all, our fears, uh, think about all of our fears in our life, right? Like 90% of them are nonsense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Most of the stuff we really worry about, it doesn't happen. Now, 10%, maybe 10% of the people aren't going to be happy with our program today. It wasn't meant for them. And that's one of the things I've really, you've really got to accept is, you know, we're all of service to other people, but we're not of service to everybody, right? I mean, I'm really good at helping fire officers with conflict. That's my sweet spot. I'm really good at coaching uh, entrepreneurs and speakers. So that's who I serve. Um, our fear is usually greater than the actual outcome. Always, always. Pretty much exclusively. Um, yeah, and then realizing, again, you just, you, you, 
you know, it's when I do present, I don't look at valuations anymore <laughs> because I'll do a, you know, I'll do a keynote or training session and, and then you get the evaluations and it's like 99 good and you have one person that doesn't like you. I'll remember that one that doesn't like me for three years. I still, five years ago, I still remember one. It's like, seriously, out of a hundred people, one person didn't like me. And that's the one I remember. So, um, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. It's, it's where you focus your energy on. I do use fear to prep. Um, most of my fears. So the, the desire, the goal has to be bigger than the fear. Yeah. The fear is going to be there <clears throat> regardless. Uh, yeah, but, you know, look at the, you know, you have those examples of something bad happening and suddenly people have like this amazing strength to pick up a car and do all kinds of crazy things they never even considered being able to do. Hmm. Um, when the goal or the thing is so important, you're going to push through the fear because it's, it's just too important not to do. So, again, it goes back to me and a lot of it is on, on what's most important. And if, if it gets... If it gets great enough, you'll push through. So the people that that stop after 10 episodes, their vision or their goal wasn't strong enough for them to sustain it. It wasn't important for them enough. They, and again, maybe it was good. They tried it and they didn't like it. Maybe they realized how much work it was. Um, and again, that's, that's what separates or that's what creates the fear holding you back or, or, or using the opportunity for the, what you really want to accomplish to overcome that fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a simple answer, but it's what's coming into my mind right now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the thing that has you not get to 10, which this goes a little bit deeper into the, the realm of self-awareness, but the thing that has you not get to 10 is you ultimately realize, oh, you know, I thought that this was something that I really wanted, but in fact, going through the process, it's really not something yeah. that I really wanted because for me, I want to do my absolute best to find, if it's not already present, a way to generate some level of interest and passion in, in every aspect of the journey if I can. You know, and that's that's a tall order. It's a very, very tall order because every like I said, everything from recording to having put it out, there's a million steps in between that have to occur. Yes. There's tons of time input energy and ultimately again how you relate to things is how you interact with it and if you got to 10 and your relationship the whole time was this is work this is work this is no fun yeah yeah, then maybe that wasn't the thing for you and it's okay to then say all right let me go take this energy that I was putting here and and go on to the next thing and not get too attached to it or be hard on oneself like oh I couldn't do it it's like no it's not about that it just probably wasn't your thing because if it was you'd figure it out yeah. I think that's why passion is so important. You know, it is, it's, uh, it pushes us through. And, and to me, you know, um, confidence comes from competence. Mm-hmm. So when you have something fearful and you keep doing it and you suddenly realize it's no longer, you know, like speaking is very easy for me. So another fear I had was video. Oh my God. The first time I got on a video, we, we did like 50 shoots for like a three minute video. I've it was just a story so many times. Yeah. It's, it was so Myself horrible. Included. And I mean, they were, I was working with some friends and they were trying to trick me and try to hide the light when they turned the, the, the record button on and everything else. <laughs> it was horrendous. It was like a three minute video. It took like 50 times to get a three minute video. I couldn't remember the words, like the couple sentences I was saying. Um, 
but then a friend of mine recommended do a 30 day challenge on video. So I did a video every day, exchanged it with a friend. And at the end, it's funny a couple of weeks into it, like going from fearful to fun and engaging. Mm. So that's, what's going to happen uh, with you too, is, is you get to shed all that nonsense, you know, mm. episodes of 25, you're just going to shed all that nonsense. You're, you're not going to be worried about how you look. You're not going to be worried about all the other nonsense. You're going to be present. You're going to be in the moment. You're going to be able to ask the good questions because you, it's what you care about. It's what you're trying to help other people with. And, and so keep at it. And that, that all that nonsense will just go away yeah. and you just get better and better. And people will be like, Holy crap, you're so good. But then you're going to probably hide some of these videos later on. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know I'm, it should your work should get a lot better and you probably don't want people to see the beginning videos but it's it's That's part so of your great. journey it's also part of your audience's journey it is and you know this is perfect i was listening to i think it was russell branson he this is interesting i went you, you ever you ever go for something you're like i'm gonna go and i'm gonna get this thing but then you end up leaving with something completely different than oh, yes. what you thought that you needed. And here's what I mean by that is I was listening to this Russell Brunson video with the intention of learning about whatever product he had coming out with this book. That's what it was. A book that he had coming out is about you know marketing, all this stuff. And I was like, all right, this is what I'm here to listen to. And it has like the, all right, you got the book. Here's the video. Like you, you purchased the book. Here's your video. I was just like, okay. So I'm listening to this training. It was like, an hour something long. I was like, I would normally listen to something this long if I didn't have like a really big intention for what I was going to do it. But I was making breakfast. So I was like, mm, why not? We'll just let it run while I'm going through making breakfast. And right within the first 10 minutes of the video, he said something to the extent of, if you like writing, guess what? Now you're starting a blog. He said, if you like speaking, Oh, wow. Then guess what? You're starting a podcast. He said that if you love video, guess what? You just started a vlog. And for some reason, something so seemingly simple. Oh, no, that's what it was. Okay, so there was the second piece. I was like, wait, wait there was more important to this. So he says that. So he says, okay, so like now you've started. You've got your blog. You've got your, your podcast. You've got your vlog. He said, now here's the most important piece. What you have to get is that in the beginning, you are going to suck. Yeah. He said, I was putting out videos for a year and a half. And this was before analytics and everything came in where they would show you the viewership and everything. This was before all that came out. And he said that it didn't, I didn't even know that there was a year and a half when there was nobody listening to me. And when I go back and I listen to it, I'm so glad that they didn't. Because in the <laughs> beginning, this is what he says. He says, in the beginning, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about clarifying your message, finding your truth and learning how to articulate that truth in a very almost like romantic silhouette of this thing that you've worked on for so long. And now it's this masterpiece. You created the yes. Michelangelo because you've gone and you've done the work. I listened to the rest of that entire two hour video. Nothing else mattered. I didn't care about anything else. He said, that was the one thing right there in the first 10 minutes. And I was just like, okay, if I adopt the mindset that nobody, first of all, nobody's listening. And second is it's about me. It's not about them. And not from like a selfish, like it's really not about them. Really like this is for people. Like I want it to be for people and they're listening. But if I almost like trick myself that 
this is about me learning how to fine tune my process. It almost takes the gravity and the weight and the yes. pressure off because then I can come and not have it together. Like even now, episode 12, I guarantee you, I look back at episode one and be like, whoa, yes. like I was so much headier than I am now, just like in my head, like what questions should come next? And should I be talking more? Should they be talking yes. more? Like there was all these things going on and it happens intermittently through even our interview and I can own it. But the transition between even just the first episodes to now and what it could be. I'm excited to look back at episode one versus episode a hundred or 300 and just see and think about where was I in my life? What was I going through? What was I experiencing? What was I thinking? And where am I now? Because ultimately what I want to be able to do someday is when some person, kid, adult, someone in between is just like, yeah, but how did you get there? I'm going to go back to episode one. Just go watch episode one. And when you look at episode one, I want you to consider that this is your first step and whatever it is that you're taking on, it doesn't always look pretty. It doesn't always look good, but I'm willing to be the person who's going to show it the ugly, not put together piece. Hence why these are meant to be conversations and it's not going to be heavily edited. Like you're not going to see any of it because there's real humanity and vulnerability in saying, you know what? This is not going to be a one and I am okay with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for you. And one thing that, um, again, things pop in my, you know, it's organic, it's popped in my head. It's normal in a conversation to have pauses and not sure what to say and reflect. And that's actually a good thing because when we actually are, and this is a great leadership lesson, you know, are you listening to listen or are you listening to respond? Mm. Because if we're listening to listen, there should be some natural pauses in conversation and hear what the person has said, take a moment to reflect and then respond. If we're listening to respond, then we're just got an agenda going and we kind of lose what we're hearing. Hmm. You can't, it's hard to be, you can't write a script while you're listening. So you, you've got to, so that, that thought popped up in my head while you're talking. Like uh, I remember the first word and I set it aside. You know, in the beginning we had a few breaths before we started uh, this and it reminded me of, of our coach when I do coaching sessions. So the first thing I check in with people and then I ask them you know, what's going on. And again, we have things going on in our life. One of the first things we do is we clear the space. And the way I do it in coaching is have people just take your thoughts and write them down. Mm -hmm. When you write them down, it frees you up. So I've got a pad here and a pen. If I need to jot something down, if I need to refer to it, but I can let go of it and just really be there for you and listen. So, and again, there you go. So it's, it's normal. Um, and I, I really, I'm really impressed how well you have listened throughout this and bounced questions off specifically the stories I've shared because Again, it's been going in right this direction and that direction and this direction and and like you said, we had a we're, we had a no agenda and we're right on time. <laughs> we're always right on time. <laughs> so, what's coming to your mind? What actually? Let me. Can I ask you a question? Bring it on. One of my favorite questions. I know this is a. We didn't really do coaching, but. Um, just take a moment, reflect back. Does anything really stand out? Uh, is your thinking, di- are you thinking differently in any way than uh, when we started? So has any, what, what's, what's, what's coming to the top for you? Top of mind. In terms of from our first conversation, you mean? Yeah. Just throughout this time. 
It could be a self-reflection too. It's something you learned about yourself. Okay. So just to clarify in this podcast or in our yes. ever knowing each other. Okay. Oh, no, I was podcast. just thinking, it's just, yeah, this is our time together today. I was just like, oh man, you're going to really yeah. make me dig deep. All right, let's do well, this. If you want to go deep, we can do that. Too. <laughs> so from mm, the entire conversation of conflict. And I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you in this moment. I'm like, what is the one thing that's coming to my mind? I'm like, I know it's something yeah. in conflict and it hasn't come full circle yet for me, but the whole conversation of conflict and being able to, again, how we relate to it is how we interact with it, not having to see it as something that we necessarily have to run away from much like a fire. Look yeah. at this guy's a firefighter. It's like, I'm running into conflict. Yeah. But, but to, to see that as an opportunity, like, in the metaphorical and the physical sense, you see fire as an opportunity to, you know, save potential. My, my dad said this, this is, I cannot believe this is coming out right now. He's like, my dad's like, like, what were you doing? I was like, I was saving a burning building from a baby. What did you, what did you think I was doing? And he means that he's just, it's the funniest thing. I, to this day, I think it's the most hilarious thing. I was saving a burning nice. building from a baby. To, anyway. So it's like, you, you go into it knowing that there could potentially be a high risk for danger. Now, of course, it's not as overt as a fire when you're going into, say, a conflict situation, but it can feel like that because the body doesn't know the difference. It it physiologically feels the same. It's the same fight or flight response. It's not like the brain's like, oh, yes, this is not a real fire. And it's like sipping on some tea, getting real pissed off. It's like, this is not a real fire. This is not something to be truly worried about. It's like, no, like everything, all resources in our body need to be ready to be available because right now we are about to potentially have uh, someone in our job tell us that we didn't do a good job. And that is the same as a fire to our our body. So being able to see that and acknowledge conflict, not necessarily something to be afraid of, but as an, as a skill, I mean, to see conflict resolution as a skill. And that's something that I think everyone, especially myself uh, can, can really take and embody because when we take that on, we're no longer, I always come back to intimate relationships because I think it's just like the lowest hanging fruit, but I'm not worried about saying or do doing something that might potentially cause something so catastrophic over there more what ends up happening is is when i get committed to something larger right that vision mine is always love my number one commitment always supersedes is is love when i'm not being that when i'm afraid when i'm shame i'm guilty i'm any of those things love's not present but when i can see the conflict as an opportunity to fight for love Hmm. that's something that's worth fighting for yeah, that's a beautiful way of being too. <laughs> no, I mean seriously, just showing up with love—that's like a—that's it's like a man. That's like an ultimate uh, value. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. So I appreciate that question. That's a good question. Yeah. So um, I love I love no I love that you know actually um, talk tie it into the conflict reflected on what you said. If there's that one person still listening, um, if you do have conflict in your life and there's a relationship that's important, reach out, right? Yeah. It only takes one person to change. Um, and it's really sad when people have broken relationships with people important in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, our soul doesn't like those damaged relationships. Feels it. Really, uh, we encourage you to reach out and reconnect with people. And, and uh, you know, it's sad. Sometimes people have, like, family and uh, friends and, and different relationships that have been lost over time and ended poorly. 
love to see you. Uh, yeah, it's just a great feeling to reconnect with people and make, make it better. So you're still listening. I encourage you to consider that uh, in your life. Again, I'm sure you'd agree that oftentimes, again, the situation is probably not nearly as bad as we make it up in our yeah. head. And you might be surprised if you come again, committed to love says, sure. Hey, I, I messed up. Yeah. Or, I could have done better, but like, I care about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That in and of itself can put out the fire. And again, if it was, if it ended poorly, people are going to be cautious. Sure. And they should be right. Once trust is broken. It has to be re-earned. So, um, you know, just realize they're, where they're coming from. But if you go in there honest and have a feeling of like love, um, people will feel, figure, out, figure that out real quick. So it might take more than one effort, but I, I encourage people if they have an opportunity to reconnect with people and reach out and, and uh, make, that, make things right. It's, uh, it's, I think it's important. You don't want to, I mean, relationships is everything. So... Where are you at? <laughs> Brilliant. Honestly. I also love your, I, I just love, I think it's important for people to connect with this is how you know yourself as far as where you come from a place of love. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I don't think people know their values well enough. You know, um, I think that, you know, how can you be authentic if you don't know your values? And we live our values, but it's just, it, when you actually know what your values are, then you can use it to ask yourself these questions, right? So you ask yourself, am I coming from a place of love? It kind of keeps you in check with who you really are. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great thing for people listening to, to reflect on what's really important, what's most important, what's the most important values in their life. And a great way to reverse engineer your values mm-hmm. uh, what things piss you off the most, <laughs> right? You really think about what, the opposite of you, that. <laughs> right. If you really think about what really makes you angry and what really pisses you off. That's a value that's being stepped on. Mm, that's a good point. It's a boundary. Yeah. yeah. So if you think about situations that uh, really make you angry, I, I imagine it's people not demonstrating love towards another. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because so, it's, it's unconsciously stepping on that unspoken or maybe even yeah. spoken boundary. Yeah. And that's why it's a hot button for people, right? Because you're, you're, you're stepping all over a belief system I have, a value I have. And if you saw somebody that was not coming from a place of love, it'd probably create a fight or flight response in you. And, and so if you, to reverse engineer your values, think about what pisses you off the most and then deep dive and go deeper and figure out what's the value I, f- I hold most important. So that's a yeah. great way of, of, we can look at values and lists and stuff like that, but I, it's, it's easy. People know right away what pisses them off and yeah. there's a strong emotional tie to it. On the other side of that coin is, is what they really believe in in a, in a good way. Yeah. So I love people, for people can usually pretty much tell you what pisses them off. And oh, I and really, Oh Yeah. I, I, for me, what I found was that I have like this fat list of values, but what I found was that in me choosing one, it became one, it became easy to remember because I'd be like accountability, responsibility, timeliness, vulnerability, like authenticity, all those things are really important. But when I realized that love was actually at the center of all of them, that if I was truly being loving, 
then yes. yeah, I would show up on time. That would be accountability and responsibility. If I, if I truly love and care about my, my relationship with my coaches, then I communicate with them when I'm falling short. So love being at the center of it, I can always keep myself in tune with this one value. And I, I'm with you is when we can distinguish what is our guiding light, it's easy to then see, much like we talked about those two paths. Am I moving towards the path that moves me towards the, my, my personal greatest good, but also the greatest good of the collective? Because I think that's important to notice is not yes. to get too, too far down the, the selfish rabbit hole, but a healthy amount of selfish, taking care of oneself and being able to have a value system that drives us. And to your point, sometimes it comes in finding what really pisses us off. Yeah. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got several values, but to me, one rises to the top and it's integrity for me. And it kind of, if you think about my career and my life and everything else, it makes sense. Um, I mean, integrity is consistently being your character, who you should be, right? It's, it's, I have no problem having integrity with others. My problem is having integrity with myself. Oh, that's, that's like most, every human, I yeah, swear it. That's the challenge is, uh, and, but I'm, I'm at my best self when I am uh, both integrity with yeah. others myself which that's where the work comes in but uh, uh, using that value as a filter or a question to ask um, to me is a really uh, it brings a lot of clarity you know it's like you do I, I bring when I when I use that test for myself too it really um, helps guide me to be you know aligned with who I am as a person hmm. so bringing this full circle <sighs> Our original intention was, uh, I, uh, I said it wasn't playful, but I know it was service. So, oh, loving, love and service to, to yeah. lovingly serve those around us. I think that we did a, a pretty decent job on that because uh, it, it all did kind of like kind of play out in the end. But I would say inside of that intention, inside of everything that we've talked about, what is one thing that a person can do to tangibly put what we've discussed into action. Cause at the end of the day, no new action, yes. no new results. And I say it at the end of pretty much every podcast that every conversation I have that I don't want this to be just another conversation where we swipe to the next social media graphic that sure. we go to eating the next pile of food or whatever it is like to stop, to digest, to integrate. What is one thing that we can take from this to improve our life as a whole. You know, I think the theme for both of us throughout this entire thing was to serve others. So, and it, it's got to be authentic. It's, it's got to be driven by passion. So, you know, like what would you get up at six in the morning on a Saturday to go do, you know, that's the kind of passion, you know, when I, there's certain things I wouldn't hesitate to get up and go help other people. It's true. So, I think the service of others would probably be the why, right? The, what's the passion of why you're doing it? Define the what, like what is it, what needs to happen to create that? But I want to yeah. add a third element is the how. Because often, um, and I, I do a lot of this in my coaching, we do want the big, grandiose, great vision, compelling, passionate goals. Um, and it's easy because now you're motivated to get started, but yet after 10 episodes, it's done. So probably one of the best things I learned from a habit and execution standpoint on accomplishing things is tiny habits. And it's actually mm -hmm. the work of BJ Fogg at a Stanford. But 
when you create your action steps, create such small actions that you know with 100% certainty I'm going to accomplish that. Hmm. So, you know, don't say yeah, I'm going to go volunteer 10 times a month because that's where it calls me, right? Go agree to do 30 minutes once a month. You can always exceed it, but do, don't create habits or goals that ever fail, ever. Think about that. Because when we accomplish them, we feel good. We don't accomplish them, we feel bad. It actually is counterproductive. Yeah. So actually make it so you want to do more and stop. So even on these conversations, if I was going to coach you on this, I would shorten your program. Even though you don't want want more, I would actually make you shorten them. Because you want to keep doing it. You want to leave, you want to create a habit that like you want to get back to it, right? You don't want to make it a chore. And a lot of people create these big grandiose goals, which is wonderful, but then the execution becomes such a daunting task and then life gets in the way and you don't accomplish it. Then you feel bad. Then you drop it. Hmm. So when you're creating your action steps, your habits, Make them so small that you know with 100% certainty you're going to do it. Mm. So I'm saying tiny. I mean tiny. You know, if you want to exercise, exercise, commit, make a commitment for 10 minutes. If you want to write a book, make a commitment for 10 minutes. And initially, this is important. So if you're going to like write a book, yeah. make a 10-minute commitment every day for 10 days. At 10 minutes, Stop. Leave it like, I don't want to, I can keep going. No, but stop. Leave it wanting to do more. Create the habit of the habit first. Then after 10 days, continue to do 10 minutes, but let it grow organically. Hmm. Never make it a chore. Make it something you want to do. Mm-hmm. And it'll become so easy if you make it a 10 minute habit or something like that. You understand? Does that make sense? Yeah. Or even if you're like 10 minutes, like one minute, like I'd imagine like whatever yeah. it takes so, to yeah. make that happen. So if you want to meditate for a minute, you know, I, when I did the tiny habits and I learned about the system, actually, I'm, he finally printed a book. Um, it's my tiny habits. I'm reading it right now, right. but um, I learned about him years ago. Um, I wasn't a reader and I started reading a couple minutes each night and Suddenly I started reading the entire books in a couple of days. I, I just was never a reader and I was meditating and writing a grateful journal and I was doing all this, you know, it just, it's so easy to start that when it's small and attainable. So mm-hmm. again, pick a great goal in the execution, make it so simple that you want to do it more. Mm. I hope that's a good learning for people. I think it's brilliant. I've, I've actually kept that. That's one of the first things you ever shared with me and I've done a rendition of it. Uh, cause I know I can, I can take that and use it on something that I've been not getting into, but I use a version of that with exercise. I have a pretty well-developed, uh, habit of going to exercise at least five days a week. That's my commitment. And there are some days where I just don't feel like going and hitting a full workout. And it usually is because I'm either sick or I've just had a really long day. And my former version, my, my past self, so to speak, <clears throat> would be like, well, if I'm not going to, you know, I can't do a full workout, I'm not, I'm just not going to work out. And then what was 
supposed to be in one workout that didn't get done gets turned into two or three. And then next thing I know, I have no habit for exercising. So then my small version of it was I'm committed to this larger vision. As long as I can go and hit one set, one set and one set may take me 10 minutes, but if I did one set, that is enough because sometimes you just have to meet yourself where you're at. And I always think of it in terms of a battery. If your battery on your phone is at, and your energy battery is at 20 or 30%, trying to hit a hundred percent, like thinking about doing a hundred percent workout is going to be like, Oh hell no, it's not going to be a thing. Meet yourself where you're at and hit that 20 to 30% workout. And then Go on about and you're your gonna life. leave. You're gonna leave feeling good because the yeah. hardest part is usually just showing up. Just getting there. And if you didn't go at all, then you're gonna beat yourself up. Yep. It's counterproductive. So yeah, I totally agree. That's great. Was that full circle? That was all for all. See, all the way from from conflict and and love and service, all the way to serving with one single habit at a time, and ultimately that's that's the journey towards any great development is going from discipline and willpower to habit. And Randy, I, we showed up, we didn't know what we were doing, yes. but we, I think we, we delivered something a little, you know, really fun. And yes. uh, I'm grateful that you were here to share this journey with me today. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so, I really am. I'm really proud of you. You know, you're, 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 you're following what your dream is and, and you're serving others. So following the wolf, keep up the good work. Yep. Follow the wolf. <laughs> Awesome. And for people who want to connect with you, what is a, what's a good way to do so? Um, if, if I can help anybody, um, again, I'm not looking for clients. I'm just looking to help. Um, my name is Randy Kern. It's K-E-I-R-N um, at Gmail. If you want to contact me, uh, just reach out. And if I could help you in any way, I, I'd love to. Wheat. Well, you guys got that. That'll also be in the show notes, wherever that ends up being. I haven't gone to that part yet, guys. I haven't, you know, I'll figure it out when I get there, once I get to that part of the journey. (laughs) But uh, outside of that, thank you guys so much. If you made it this far, you are a warrior and you're a warrior because uh, it takes something. It takes something to to sit through and to really absorb it and to not want to run away. You know, sometimes we're faced with with difficult and challenging uh, experiences within ourselves as we're listening because it can trigger uh, old patterns, old beliefs. So for you to be here this long and to continue, I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate your energy always and forever continue to follow your truth, love yourself and follow the wolf within you. Well said. <laughs> Bye guys. Take care. Thank you so much for listening in. If you got value out of this message, We would love it if you subscribed and shared it with your tribe so we can continue to share this message and this medicine with people all over the world. Much love and peace be with you.